Welcome to the Talk Marketing Analysis for Life Sciences podcast with Covalent Bonds. I'm your host, Laura Brown, and I am Chief Effectiveness Officer here at Covalent Bonds HQ. In this podcast, we explore marketing and media analysis for life sciences, touching on topics from marketing data to our guests' biggest marketing failures and successes, because it is in learning from others that the magic happens. Today's interviewee is Kristen Garvey, Vice President of Corporate Communications at Waters Corporation. Kristen has held senior roles at companies like EMC and most recently at Dell, where she was Director of Corporate Communications. Her particular passion is around unifying teams around common goals, which makes her the perfect interviewee for this podcast. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Laura. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're very excited. Would you mind starting off by telling us a little bit about Waters? I assume that people don't know anything about the company, although I doubt that's the case. <laughs> sure, sure. No problem. We are a technology company servicing the life sciences market. So we, we serve life sciences, material science, and food science. We've been in business for over 60 years. And really, we deliver measurement technology to help scientists make some of the most critical decisions that they need to make in, in labs today. Wonderful. And what's your role at Waters? So I lead our corporate communications function at Waters. Ah, fantastic. So what, what does that entail for the layperson that doesn't really understand public relations or communications? Sure. So it includes most of the likely suspects, like you mentioned, PR, um, certainly internal communications, external comms. We also are responsible for our corporate brand, our philanthropy initiatives, as well as sustainability. So we have a broad remit across the organization, which is really fantastic. Wow. It sounds like you're a busy lady. <laughs> How many people are on your, on your team? We have eight people on our team. So what kind of roles do those cover? So a lot of different roles from certainly external uh, PR, as well as uh, looking after our global brand, certainly mm -hmm. doing quite a bit more in the area of sustainability. So we have someone who leads sustainability initiatives as well. Philanthropy is always close to our heart and how we give back to the communities in which we work and live. So uh, we have someone who looks after that area as well. Wonderful. Thank you. So how do you prioritize? I mean, what are the three most important elements of your day to day? Yeah, so, you know, it always starts with my team. You know, basically in my role, the best thing that I can do is make sure that I'm empowering them to succeed and, you know, removing any roadblocks that, that they have or, or making sure that I'm there to help them. I think of it like the multiplier effect, right? Uh, we certainly all have a lot on our plate, but we're all mm -hmm. focused on the best way that we can deliver benefit to our stakeholders. So uh, usually my day starts with them, which uh, I am really lucky. I have a fantastic team. You know, then I guess next, I would say on the list, it probably turns to thinking about our stakeholders. So we're very customer focused on the communications team and thinking about what our internal stakeholders need and making sure that we're doing everything we can to service our, our internal clients. And then, you know, as you know, in the world of comms, everything is changing. So I guess, the, you know, everything from, you know, what's going on with coronavirus to the latest industry news. So I, I guess I would say the third priority of the day is just always keeping a pulse on what's going on in the market. So how would you go about doing that? 
So a lot of the ways is we just, you know, certainly through our social channels of just keeping up to date with with what's happening in the world around us, we're we're fairly plugged in on the comms team. So we make sure that everyone, you know, is certainly up to date. We also do different stand-up meetings at different points in time to make sure if, if we're in the middle of a big project or there's a larger initiative happening to make sure that we're touching base on on a more regular, frequent, you know, agile basis. Yeah. So when you said talked about social then, do you have technology in place that you use to monitor and to sort of decide which you're going to respond to? We certainly have technology that we leverage through our marketing team to be able to look at what's happening in the conversations that are happening in the marketplace. We also leverage that technology to keep our eye on the types of, you know, content really that performs the best and that drives the most engagement across across the team. So, so what is that technology? Do you mind saying? So we use TrackMaven as our technology to kind of keep a pulse on what's happening across our social channels. Okay. So how did you get into this role? What was your route to find yourself at Waters? <laughs> yeah. So it's been an interesting journey. I actually would say the majority of my career has been in the high tech space. So my role previous to joining Waters, I've been here just under two years. Previous to that, I ran global employee communications for Dell. And really, it was the Waters name that led me to the current role I'm in now. It was one of those classic situations, not really, I wasn't really looking, but I had always heard great things about the company and the people that work Mm -hmm. here. So when the role came up to really kind of build out and lead a new corporate communications function here, for me, the role included everything that's closest to my heart around comms and brand, philanthropy and sustainability. So it hit every sweet spot for me from a marketing perspective and a community communications perspective. The company also has incredible stories to tell. The people here every day, I'm continually just humbled by the people that I surround myself with and work with. So that's really what drew me in. I would say, you know, having this be my first experience in life sciences, I've always valued working for purpose-driven organizations, but probably Mm -hmm. never felt it as much as I feel it in this current role. You know, seeing the work that our team does on a day-to-day basis to service the customers for helping them reach their goals and and really enhancing human health and well-being, that sense of purpose is really powerful. It's been an incredible motivator for me personally, and I I, I think it is for, for the team as well. Yeah, absolutely. So so I take it you're not a scientist by background then? I am not. I am not. A, I am a marketer by background. <laughs> oh, interesting. So do you find that is a benefit or do you see certain challenges by being a non-scientist in this world? There's certainly pros and cons, and, and I'm a, a big believer into playing to strengths. So mm-hmm. where I, I lean in is bringing the, you know, the, the expertise that I've, ha- I've been blessed really in my career to work for some really best in class communications teams and marketing teams. So bringing that experience that I've had previously to build out this function here has been really great. And, and on the flip side, we have incredible deep expertise in this company. And that's one of the things that I love. I mean, I am learning every day. 
more and more and more. And that that's been great. So I lean on the right people for the right expertise and and marry that with the expertise that I can bring from a communications and marketing perspective. See, I love that because my next question was going to be around learning from previous experiences. One of the themes of this podcast is that we learn from mistakes, right? So you try and then you learn from it and you get better and better. And that's at the heart of a sort of data science process. So from your history, what has been your biggest comms failure? And how did you define it as a failure? And what have you learned from it? You know, I think there's probably one, you know, in particular, we all have, you know, I, I'm a big believer in, in, you know, failing fast. And that's a really a big part of, of being innovative in what we do and, and how we sort of embrace failure. And, and for me, there's one story that I always go back to, you know, we all have those experiences that stick with us. And it's one that I would say, taught me the value of taking risks and really, you know, teaching me to trust my gut and, mm -hmm. and the empowerment. I think that really comes with being a little bit fearless at times. So previously, I was in a role where I was releasing or, or launching a new brand campaign. I'll never forget this. You know, I was fairly new to the role. We were, it was a big day. We were pitching concepts with our agency to my head of comms, as well as our chief marketing officer. And, you know, in my gut, you know, the agency and I both felt the same. We didn't really love the the concepts that we were pitching, but we were playing mm -hmm. by the rules, right? And following all the guidelines when we knew really what we needed to do was probably take a step back and, and blow those guidelines up and do something a little bit different. We went ahead and, and hit, you know, presented them anyway. And, you know, our CMO certainly did not like what we presented. And, you know, being new to the role, it was probably a pretty intimidating day. And, and you know, I think that's where actually great bosses step in. And I'll never forget this. She pulled me aside and and taught me, you know, that, that the pathway to success is never a straight line. And, you know, my ability to be able to take the opportunity to leverage those zigs and zags was going to deliver a better outcome. So it, it was one of those empowering moments that just taught me to, you know, go back to the drawing board and see the opportunity in in that mistake and and teaching me to actually trust my gut and you get confidence right more and more as you mm -hmm. grow your, your career to trust that that gut and it's it's great we went back and we did exactly what we wanted to do right from the beginning and and the team really nailed it and the campaign ended up going on and winning um, some pretty incredible awards after that. But it was a real lesson to me to, you know, sometimes you got to color outside the lines <laughs> a mm -hmm. little bit and, and be a little bit fearless and, and not let, you know, not let that fear of failure get in the way. So I'm really interested in that, that color outside the lines comment, because in the scientific world, and specifically in life sciences, the lines are so defined that it's very hard to go out of those sometimes and to be creative. Do you find that and how do you deal with it? You know, I don't find it on the communications team here that the team is is really is really creative. I think a lot of times the way I try and help foster that is a sense that failure is just a temporary stop on the road to success, right? If we're not failing every once in a while, we're not taking enough calculated purposeful risks and innovating as a team. And there's never been a better time from a marketing and communications perspective than today to innovate because we have the data to take an agile approach to it and change course and learn quick. And so that's how we try and foster that ability to embrace it a little bit more mm -hmm. and and certainly not 
take silly risks, but we have an opportunity to take some calculated ones. Yeah, and it's interesting that you go straight into the data. How do you use that and build it into your processes to enable you to fail fast and respond quickly? Yeah, so we're we're getting all the right tools in place now, and we've had a real focus on internal and, and making sure that we're delivering the right message to the right audience at the right time from, from mm-hmm. an employee perspective, for example. So using the tools out there, and I say, you know, taking the same approach we take with our customers and the same rigor around, you know, email marketing metrics and A-B testing is, is what mm-hmm. we need to when we're, you know, certainly communicating and engaging with our employee audience. So it's really about getting the right digital tools. We can see open rates on our newsletters. We know what people are, you know, commenting on and and talking about. So we then can learn what content's resonating the most. You know, from an external comms perspective, I would say one of the, you know, most proud things I, proud moments I have of the team this year is they made some real, took some big risks around social and and took a fresh look at the content we were putting through our social channels. They actually pulled way back on that and did, they knew that they were putting too much and needed to change the types of content that was going through our channels. And they reduced it, I would say about 50% in 2019 and drove a 47% increase in engagement. And, you know, having the data, that's a change of mindset when you're telling people, you know, helping people understand what content can and can't go through the social channels. Naturally, Mm -hmm. you're going to get pushback from the different areas of the business. But letting the data do the talking and and helping people understand the types of content that our customers and our audience engages with helps make that case for us. On a practical level, how did you do that? So you, you mentioned Track Maven before, but as a team, how did you go about evaluating, one, how effective the social was in the outset and then deciding how to change it? Yeah, we had some hypotheses that, that we wanted to test around the types of content and more human stories that we want to be telling through our social channels. So mm-hmm. we would do a lot of testing on the, you know, the the blogs that we post that get the most engagement, the the tweets and the types of of content that seem to get the most, you know, retweets and engagement. And we look at those on a regular basis and learn, right? So it's it's a lot of test and learn, test and learn. And then, you know, trying to go back, and this is really probably where we have more opportunity to do more of this in in 2020. But going back and sharing those learnings with with others in the business to help them understand the types of content that people are engaging with. Mm-hmm. So taking the metrics and the data by the post. So we show the highest performing post and the, also the lowest performing post. Right. So it's got to be the good and the bad. And there's no, you know, no hard feelings in that. The data is the data. <laughs> right. So, exactly. And that's where it takes the emotion out of it and helps all of us just get better at what we're doing. Oh, I love it. So before we sat down for this podcast, you were telling me a bit about the Strategy Cascade project. Can you describe that for our audience, please? Sure. So one of the big, you know, challenges or, or opportunities that I had coming in was, you know, helping our employees understand the vision, the strategy, the purpose, where we're headed as a company. And not only that, but their role in, in the company's success. We partnered with a firm called CRA, 
to put together a really robust strategy cascade process. This is one that I had run in past lives and we had had success. And it's a real focus on conversation versus just pushing content out. And, and it's a quite, quite a rigorous process that involves a lot of training of of people leaders throughout that to foster these conversations. It's a very quick turn process that runs over the course of three weeks where it's really powerful. We had 7,000 employees all having conversations around where we're headed as a company and their role in its success. So that really helped them connect the dots between where we're headed and what they do each day. And I think when you and I were talking, we were chatting a bit about you know the measurement and how we measured the effectiveness of that program. Exactly. So how did you design measurement into the design of the program? Yeah, so we run an employee engagement survey. So we took a few key questions from that survey because this is the first time in 2018 was the first time we ran that program. So we picked a few of those questions to benchmark our engagement and benchmark, you know, were we moving the needle in people's understanding of our vision, strategy, and purpose, questions like that. We also asked, I'm a big believer in MPS. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, and that's how we measure a lot of things. Cause at the end of the day, it, you know, I need to know if someone's likely to recommend this type of program. So we had MPS questions in our people leader training sessions, as well as our all employee survey to understand, you know, if this is something that people had value in. And, you know, the data that came back was incredible. We drove a double digit increase on our employee engagement survey in, you know, two of those questions that, you know, one around helping people understand the vision, strategy and purpose. And the second one around people understanding their role in the success of the company. And the reason why that's so important, you know, is we know there's such direct correlation between an employee's engagement and and feeling of connection to the company and and the company's overall success. So making sure we're keeping our eye on that over time and continuing to invest in that is important. You mentioned benchmarking and using this data. Do you design those into every program that you start? So is it always part of the brief? How are we going to use the data, monitor and respond? So we're we're getting there, right? We're doing more and more of that. You know, if we can't measure it, we should really be thinking twice about how, you know, why we're doing it and how we're going to know if we're going to be successful. There's just, you know, to your point before, you know, we're a very small team for a very large mm-hmm. reason. So we need to be laser focused on where we're going to drive the most value for the business. So mm-hmm. most programs, when we set an objective, we like to tie a metric to that objective, right? So we understand where we're moving, where we're moving the needle and and learning, right? Because we're not going to hit everything out of the park. So we just want to be able to adjust when needed. So it's interesting that you said if you can't measure it, you have to think about whether you do it. Because working in a court comms role, a lot of your the functions that you're responsible for are ones that are, are typically hard to measure. So with the brand, with public relations, do you have to justify that because you don't have the same sort of concrete data as you do for, say, email marketing? Yeah, it's getting better, though. You know, there's things in brand tracking studies today that you can, you know, measure brand perception and, and, and start mm-hmm. benchmarking those trends over time. You know, from a PR and a messaging perspective, you know, that has come a long way of looking at things like message pull through or share of voice 
on a particular you know topic that you quote unquote want to be famous for. So you know, I, I would say we're on the journey. We're actually working on a really fun project right now with some fantastic students at Babson to build a comms dashboard around the metrics that are most important to us in driving the business. So, you know, it's important as a relatively new sort of enterprise-wide or company-wide function that when we get in a QBR, we have data to be able to back up, you know, what's going well and what's not and where we want to change and invest in the team. I love this. Obviously, this is where my heart is. So I'm so pleased <laughs> to hear that you're doing this. It's making so, But one of the things that when I talk to a lot of companies in the market, they feel like their marketing budgets are so tight and their comms budgets are so tight that actually pulling budget out for monitoring and measurement is hard for them to justify. Do you guys have a separate budget for this or is it baked into the programs that you do? We try and bake it into the programs that, you know, that we run. You know, we have obviously separate with the social. It's a part of our overall social you know, program that we have through Track Maven is making sure that we have the measurement. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of ways through surveys. I mean, every from town halls to internal emails to the strategy cascade, we use a lot of survey data to be able to to benchmark the the success around mm-hmm. those. So, you know, today I think it's really hard to, to not have measurement be a part of your program because you've got to be able to understand what's working and what's not. Exactly. And like you mentioned before, it's it's removing that emotional piece where people have a gut that they say, we know this works, but somebody else doesn't agree. And that's where the disconnects come between often between the marketing and comms teams and the other functions often. So if you've got the data, it's harder to argue with it. Right, right. And and there's things when you want to change, right? When you're trying to change the way you do things, you know, we always say, you'll hear anyone in comms will always say that, you know, they're trying to change the perception of of people thinking of them as the press release department, right? Because there's so much more today as communicators, (laughs) we have so many more levers to pull and tools in our toolbox, you know, to be able to turn some of those into blogs. But, you know, when you're having the conversation with the business that you actually don't want to do a press release, you'd love to do a blog. And because because you can you think you can drive more awareness around it. It's really important if you're going to take that risk and do that to be able to go back to the business and show them the value and show them the the data that shows that you made the right decision or, or or you didn't, right? So you all can learn together from it. So it's really tough to run a program without having data behind it. Exactly. So we talked about Trap Maven. What other technology do you use to capture that data and to look at the analytics? Yeah, so we internally we use Popolo, or I'm so used to calling it Popolo. I think they, or no, they used to be called Newsweaver, and now it's called Popolo. But that's the you know internal newsletter tool that we use that can you know track open rates and things like that on our emails, which is really effective and very helpful. You know, we certainly can get data and metrics on our internal you know internets and sites that we we pull up, which have been very very effective. I would say you know measuring the PR aspect of things is something that we're still building and kind of part of our 2020 comms to figure out exactly what it is we want to measure there and how we're going to how we're going to drive that. Then, you know, the other tools, we do a lot of of surveys, right? So making sure when we run an internal program, whether it be a town hall or, you know, a program like the Strategy Cascade, getting continuous feedback 
And it's not only getting the feedback, but it's actually communicating back to the team what you did with the feedback. That's one of the things sometimes, you know, I think we owe it, whether it's to our customers or to our internal employees, if we're going to ask them for feedback, you know, we owe Mm -hmm. it to share back with them what we've learned and what we've changed as a result of that feedback so we can continue to get it, right? Yeah. And also communicating this internally as well. And we've touched on this a couple of times during the podcast, but what sort of processes do you guys have in place for communicating the the results? Do you, you mentioned the dashboard. Is that going to be made widely available or just for the comms team? So it'll be definitely something that we share in our quarterly business reviews for sure. I mean, I can tell you with the strategy cascade program that we run, you know, we go back to all people managers and we share with them what we learned. I mean, this year we started off this year's program by recapping the feedback we got from them last year and the changes we made as a result of the feedback to the program this year, right? So so they understand that their feedback just doesn't go into a black hole, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, that, and we do, we read every single page of that feedback because it's it's just gold for us of, of as far as insights of, of what we can be doing differently and how we can learn from that. And we also do the same thing and share some key highlights with employees that participate in the program. So I, I think it's important and, and it's important, you know, to your question of failure before, it's important to say what we've learned, you know, things that went mm-hmm. well and that that didn't right and and saying here's how we're going to try something different and and keep trying until we get it right and do you find that the company generally is comfortable with the marketing and comms team to take those risks or do they like you to rely on proven methodologies um it's a little bit of both i mean i can speak more to the comm side than the marketing side but when we've had a really good case and hypothesis that we want to prove you know i feel like Certainly, I, I have had the, the free reign to go try things a little bit differently than we may have done them in the past. And that's great. I mean, you want to feel like you have the ability to move the needle and, and learn from what we're doing. But, you know, we never change just for change's sake. It's change mm-hmm. based on either feedback that we've heard or, you know, we're always looking at how our industry and communications and, and what others are doing and how we can learn from that and how things are changing to be able to take advantage of that. And, you know, I would say for us, we, I'm a big believer in small wins and creating momentum for a new team on small wins, because you, that's how you gain the confidence of your, your business, your stakeholders, right? Our, our, and, and that's our goal is just to continue to build those relationships with the stakeholders across the business and, and gain their confidence and trust. So when we have something that we want to do a little bit differently, they're excited about it. Absolutely. I love it. Completely agree. (laughs) It's great. So do you ever get asked to justify return on the investments that you make into technology, but also into campaigns? You know, we're in the early stages of making some of those investments. But, you know, when we we put this new tool in for email, you know, we're seeing crazy open rates, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, 80% open rates on on these communications that we're sending out. So, you know, using and leveraging some of those metrics and data to prove the value of what people are getting is, is really important. Do you define what success will look like at the outset or is it looking back and then modifying as you go? 
that is a great question. And that, and we're getting better at that, uh, not being afraid of putting goals out there in a comms program. Because what a lot of times you'll see is, yeah, people will say it was successful because X, Y, and Z, but I want to make a few big bets, right? I want to take that fearless approach a little bit and say, you know what, it's successful if we, you know, get 80% open rates or 90% open rates or whatever it might be and have it be okay if we don't get there on the first try, but we've all got to have something to shoot for. So I'm a big believer in setting those metrics and setting those goals ahead of time because everybody's got to have something to shoot for. Wonderful. And do you have goal setting sessions with the executive leadership team, for example, where you define what success of certain initiatives will be and then report against those? Or is it just within the comms function? No, I mean, that that is actually the true value of this strategy cascade process. So what we do is we have strategy maps at the top of the organization and each of our executives has their own map. And then I ladder my goals and initiatives for communications up to my boss's map, basically. And then Mm -hmm. down to each individual on my team, including myself, sets our own personal objectives of what we're doing to bring that strategy to life across the organization and how we know if we'll be successful, right? So for example, if we're responsible for the strategy cascade, you know, what does success, what does success look like? What are we shooting for this year? What changes did we make? You know, what's a different result that we're hoping for this year? So that's been probably the most valuable part of that strategy cascade is the alignment it creates across goal setting from the top level of the company all the way down to each individual objective. So how do you communicate the objectives and keep them center to the business? Because I know that often these get started you know, once a year, everyone sits down, sets their goals, they write them all up, and then yeah. they don't get looked yeah. at again for another year. How do you guys make sure that it's front and center of everything you do? Yeah, and so that's where, you know, making these visual and making these maps, I mean, you'll walk around the office and see people have them pinned up, you know, in different places. Mm-hmm keep them front and center. We certainly on the comms team review where we're at every quarter purposefully on, you know, what's working, what's not, and how are we tracking. The alignment that we've created has been, you know, tight partnership across other functions of the organization. So, you know, the value of a true corporate comms function relies a lot on the relationships we create throughout the business. So the partnership Mm -hmm have with the HR organization in making sure that, you know, how we're linked up with them and their objective setting has been really important. That way, you know, the processes from an employee experience perspective need to all be connected. And there's a lot of effort that makes sure that we have that alignment across the organization to do that. It's very similar to the uh, model that Google use. And I I think we've discussed this before, but it's called the OKR, the Objectives and Key Results Setting. And there's a great book on it called Measure What Matters. So we'll put a link to that into the show notes because it gives exactly this methodology that you guys are are rolling out. And it helps people know, you know, the, the five or six core things that the company is focusing on and everybody's role in that. And it helps break down those silos that you were just talking about that you guys have managed to overcome. 
Yeah, and it's a process, right? I mean, this is something that will take, you know, a few years. We just wrapped up year two under our belt and the survey, collecting the survey data now to, to measure and see how we did compared mm-hmm. to last year. And, you know, we have a lot of after action reviews to, well, it's fresh in our mind to what worked well, what do we want to do differently? How do we think we can, you know, we're always looking to take things to the next level, you know, so I think it's always looking at how, how can we improve and, and get better at what we're doing. Oh, I love it. So we dived into what was your biggest comms failure, but I never asked you what your biggest comms success was and how you have decided that it's a success. So I'm very interested and intrigued in this. Yeah, I mean, I've you know, listen, I've been a part of some great teams that have made some real magic happen over the course of my of my career, certainly. So, you know, there's different things that, that come to mind of, of being a part of some pretty fantastic teams. You know, I would say more recently, I was intimately involved in the acquisition between Dell and EMC before I joined here. And, you know, that was that was a really fun and incredible acquisition to be a part of, of having both of those companies come together and in making sure that we could both keep our arms around both the internal and the external communications in such a huge time of change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that to me is is probably one of the things that comes top of mind. I'm also a real big believer in the people that work on my team. And when I look back and think of the proudest moments, they don't tend to be around projects. They tend to be around the success of the people, whether they've gone on to do something else (laughs) and keeping Mm -hmm. in touch with them where they are. But the people part of my job is, is the one that one of the parts that I'm probably most passionate about. So some of those successes are just, I look at my biggest goal is how can I be a multiplier around helping all of us continue to improve and get better and and deliver great results and, and be best in class communicators and marketers. And some of the people that I've had the pleasure of working with, it's awesome to see what they're doing today and off, you know, running their own teams and their own organizations and leading comms. So, you know, to me, those are the successes that are closest to my heart. Oh, I, I love this celebrating of people in teams, especially in a time where communicators and marketers are, are starting to feel a little threatened about the amount of technology coming into the space and what role that they have in this. And a theme that's come through in many of our podcasts is technology is great, but it's not going to work if you haven't got the right people in place to roll it out. And people that embrace this failure mindset, you know, and the A-B testing that's critical in the scientific world. And if you don't have the people, you're not going to get the, the results that you need. Absolutely. I mean, I, technology is a huge part of our empowerment as communicators and marketers. I mean, having the technology and the data takes, you know, all those people that would say comms or marketing is soft, right? Or, or you can't measure it. You know, that yeah. that's not the world we live in anymore. We certainly can measure way more today than we've ever, you know, been, been able to. So from my perspective, that's not a threat. That is a complete enabler and empowering us to do more. And it's not just about trusting your gut because now you've got the data behind it, right? So you can have an mm-hmm. a hypothesis, so you can go out and test it and you can adjust as needed. But there's, you know, with all the greatness that technology brings, 
underestimating the emotional connection and the human element of the power of the written word has probably never been more important. It's crowded, right? I mean, look at how many you're constantly getting emails or texts and and our attention span Mm -hmm. is down to milliseconds, right? You know, the craft of a well-written communication has probably never been more important than it is today. I absolutely, completely agree with you. I'm glad that you said that because I was going to ask a question to take us exactly to that point. So thank you. So I'm going to change things up a little bit now because we ask all our interviewees, what one question would you ask your peers to learn from? What would it be? So I'd like to ask you the question that our previous interview asked, which is Jim Heron of Thermo Fisher. And he asked how marketers and communicators in a scientific industry work with other functions in the business. He had felt that there wasn't always an appreciation of the value that marketing and comms can bring to the corporate function. And it was challenging to justify investments into new areas. And he specifically gave an example of people can see a brochure. You spend a lot of time on it. It looks great. And people can see the, you know, the time investment that's gone into it. But where you're maybe looking at something that's like social, that's only a couple of lines, and people can't justify in their heads that investment, how do you communicate, you know, that switch to from hard marketing to, you know, I'm trying to think of the word to say it, but I think you'll understand. Yeah, I, I, it's a great question. And you know, for us in any corporate function like comms or marketing, you know, understanding your stakeholders and their pain points is critical, right? So, you know, relationship building in this role is is a critical success factor and understanding their objectives. I mean, we will often get a lot of people from the business in comms in general. I mean, it's happened to me in any role I've had that come with the tactic, right, versus mm-hmm. the problem that they're trying to solve. So a lot of times we'll find ourselves taking a few, you know, taking that conversation a few steps back, well, maybe maybe it's not a press release that you need. Let's talk a little bit about what your objective is. Understanding what success looks like through the eyes of your customer is critical to making sure you're delivering on those needs. I mean, our main goal is to be that trusted advisor. We don't, we're not Mm -hmm. a, we're not a tactical executor of communications. We are a trusted advisor across the business, which means, you know, we really need to know our stuff and have data to back it up, (laughs) which is why the data is a really important enabler for us to change the type of conversation we're having from tactics to about the business outcomes that we need to drive. You know, that more is what makes it so exciting to be in comms and marketing today because because of all those tools that you and I have talked about to be able to really empower us to test, learn, and adjust communication. So that learning about your audience, whether that's internal or external, where does that sit as a role for gathering that data that's a part of all of our roles, right? So so anyone who certainly sits on my team, understanding who their stakeholders are and, you know, having some of that qualitative research mindset, and, and certainly we use the quantitative with surveys, but the conversations to understand and ask, how do you think we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the biggest thing, you know, likelihood to recommend the comms team, right? Likelihood to recommend that you have one of us join a, a particular work stream. 
making sure that we are sort of that go-to because people want to make sure they they get our opinions on things. That's what success looks like for us. And, and that comes with just asking the questions, right? And understanding what those pain part, parts are across the business. Oh, I get it. So if you could ask one question, what would you ask? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, maybe this is the high tech background in me, but I get so excited about all the new technology that we have as communicators and and even as marketers. And, And I think about things like, you know, augmented reality and virtual reality and how we're using those new tools in our toolbox to be Mm -hmm. able to take our customers and internal clients more places virtually. So I I always am asking people what they're doing differently and what surprised them lately around new technology that they have at their disposal. Wonderful. Well, I will ask that question (laughs) and get back to you. But Kristen, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. Is there anything that I've not asked that you would really like to get across in this podcast? No, I love this podcast, by the way. I've loved listening to the interviews and some fantastic, certainly really smart people that I'm learning from each one that, that I listen to. And I look forward to, uh, to hearing who you have on next. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate it. And have a wonderful day. Thanks for the invite. You too. Thank you. 